Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to learn more about that company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Two co-hosts again tonight, Brad and Kerry Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. If you want to check out more about their company, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Our guest today is Bill Beekner. For anybody that doesn't know Bill, they're kind of missing out. You know, he's not quite the legend status that we had recently, but, you know, on that down low side of things, he is. So, Bill... How are you doing tonight? Thanks for coming on. Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. I appreciate you guys uh, uh, asking me to join and uh, looking forward to an evening of talking fishing here. So we are, uh, I'm I'm fortunate to be at the Hoppy Residence for the next few days up here fishing and hanging out. So it's been a great time. Awesome that they invited me to come join them and you for, uh, like I said, a little... a little time of talking muskies and fishing here. Well, this was more Brad's idea than it was my idea. I woke up this morning at 2 a.m. to a text message that said, hey, are we going to do a podcast? Billy's here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's probably a great idea. But it, I didn't really want to respond to Brad's text because I didn't want to have a back-and-forth com- conversation at 2 o'clock this morning because I knew that he was awake because that's that's just how Brad rolls. So we don't really have any plans, I don't think, for this one, do we, guys? And Carrie, I sorry. would say no. I would say no, Jeff, but, you know, the neat thing is is that Billy and I have got to fish a ton together. Uh, we did quite a few videos over the years, and the neat thing about Billy is somehow, some way, he always squeaked out the biggest fish and made the cover of that video. This guy knows how to fish. He's a multi-species fisherman. He does a great job. I always love having him in the boat because he can teach me a ton of different things. And well, unlike Brad, I appreciate that. And unlike the rest of us, he was smart enough to sell off all of his musky bait companies, so he's no longer associated with any of that. So he doesn't have that going over his head too. So, you know, we'll give him that credit too. You know, the funny part about that, Jeff, is that you got a piece of it. I got a piece of it, and um, Betty. and John Betty got a piece of it. It's pretty crazy to think about. Pretty crazy to think that he found three idiots to take stuff off of his hands. I chose well. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, I did my research, you know, really checked into things and uh, found three people that I thought would really enjoy my, my, my ex-businesses. So, and they've done an awesome job with them. It's awesome to sit back and, and see people you know, moving forward with something that I, I won't say that I started, but something that I kind of worked along myself and found out what a struggle it is to, to be in that, in this business. You know, it, it definitely was a, a huge eye awakening to me. I thought being a, a musky tackle owner was going to be an awesome thing. You know, I never afraid of hard work, but, uh, I thought it'd be a great thing. And, you know, after 10 years of being in the business, I I have to stand back and say that I realized that owning a business and being a tackle company owner was not my deal. Um, you know, I realized that I needed to go back to fishing. That's my love is fishing, um, designing, helping design new baits, you know, just getting into the hands-on stuff more than running a business. Yeah, running a business was not my deal. So... Think, so, think about what he's telling us there, Jeff. Basically, he's telling us that we're idiots, okay? He, I, he got smart after 10 years, and we didn't. <laughs> that's a, that's exactly what I took out of that. So, you know, ultimately, Jeff, 
you kind of introduced who he was, but let's hear from Billy kind of a little bit of a background story, how long he's been involved in muskies, um, where this kind of started, and where he kind of went from there. Well, I got into muskies when I was probably, uh, well, I know I was right around 16 years old as soon as I could start driving. From there on, it just moved up to spending a ton of time in northern Wisconsin, um, actually in the Iron County area, and then started moving to Canada, spent a fair amount of time in Canada um, in my younger, in my early 20s, and then obviously jumped on early into the Minnesota um, boom and followed that all the way through. Um, also fishing St. Clair um, for a lot, a lot of the early years, you know, back in the early 2000s. You know, had a really good time out there and then just kind of fell into, um, you know, life changed. Um, tackle company slowed down fishing a little bit. Kids slowed down fishing a little bit. But now I have kids that are of the age and just getting into into that realm. And I'm actually kind of ramping right back up. It's it's a big multi-species thing right now. Um, I knew I couldn't probably take kids and grind them into the dirt like what we used to do musky fishing. So now I, I really and I've really enjoyed getting back into the the multi species, back to the bluegills, the crappies, the walleyes, bass fishing, and of course the musky fishing. But I I uh, I just love getting back in anything. And I I will say one thing about starting off as as I would say a musky guy is that you look at multi species differently when you get into it. I mean, you realize how hard you had to work to be successful at musky fishing. You have to put a lot of thought into stuff. It's not just blindly going fishing and hoping that things are going to work out. Now you can do that, but your success rates are going to show that. So, you know, I, I know for a fact that, you know, we've done really good, you know, in the other species as well. And a lot of that is that success has come from the fact of, you know, looking at things and going, well, why isn't this working? We know the fish are here. You know, today's electronics with the side imaging, the hummingbird stuff, I mean, it's truly amazing what now we have at our disposal. So we, you know, as a general, we should know that the fish are there, and if they're not biting, you got to do something. you got to change up, make it happen. You know, whether it's a speed, whether it's a color, whether it's a depth. I mean, that's – and none of that has changed really since the musky world either. I mean, you know, we all did that in the musky world too. You know, do you burn it fast? Do you slow roll it? Do you just do a standard medium retrieve? You know, all that stuff. Do you throw a glider at them? You know, it's 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 all relevant in every type of fish that you fish. So, so that's why I think it's it's been it's been really fun to, like I said, step back and do a lot of multi-species stuff because it's just and it's kind of got me. It's kind of lit the fire back in me. I kind of got a little, I'm not going to deny it. I had a, about a three, four year burnout there on Muskie. We went so hard for 20 years and eh, I just got a little burnout on it. And then the tackle company on top of it, it just enough was enough. And so I just stepped back for a little bit. And now in the last two years, now with my son being, he's 10 and now where he's ramping into it, you know, he's not afraid to spend 15, 16 hours in the boat with me, which he's done more than a few times. And it's uh, it, it's there again. I can see the fire lit again, you know. And coming up here and visiting Brad and Carrie this weekend, and you know, it, it, it's uh, it's definitely cranking back up here. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to to the future and what that may bring with with my kids and what they all have to 
to look forward to. You know, the one thing that you can look at, Jeff, is uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So Billy's son, Carter, 10 years old, he's a monster. I mean, the kid is dedicated. He wants to learn. He wants to see everything that's going on. Maybe, Bill, you know, we had a question quite some time ago, but a question of somebody, a listener that, that asked us, how do you keep the kids active and how do you keep the kids interested in the sport of musky fishing? What, what would you say? Well, my first thing would be is, is don't push it. You know, get out, do some fishing, try and pick good days. I would say one of the biggest things is try and pick probably some of the best times that you can go. You know, not when it's too warm. You know, try to pick smaller lakes where you're going to see fish. Um, give them baits that they can throw. throw give them a topwater, a spinner bait, um, small bucktails, you know, something that they can cast out, easily retrieve. I mean, you know, we've, we can, you know, we all get stuck on a lot of the, the giant baits and which we all like to throw and stuff like that. But history tells us that, uh, that probably 50% of the, some of the biggest muskies that are caught every year are caught on small baits. Maybe not necessarily small baits, but smaller baits that anybody can throw. So, you know, I would say, you know, get them into a really nice, you know, good combo. Nothing super, you know, lighter. You know, light's the key. I mean, I've learned that with my son. You know, get them into even like a heavy bass setup that you can you can throw something. You know, just don't try to fatigue them out too quick. Um, and let them enjoy it. You know, if they get bored, which we do all the time, we might be out musky fishing for two hours. He gets bored. Then he wants to go cast for pike or bass or something. So we break it up or bluegills. I always have bluegill rods or crappie rods in the boat. So I do. I break that up a lot. Did you hear that, Jeff? I heard it. You paid him. There's no way he just said that on his own. <laughs> I didn't pay him, but I will now. <laughs> <laughs> That was true. That was right for me, man. <laughs> you coached him right before the podcast. I know how this goes. <laughs> See, this no, is the it, downfall it, to, to us not having equal access to the guest beforehand. You've been with him all day long, so you clearly have paid him off or told him what to say. <laughs> no, he just knows what it's like to catch good fish, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, hey, us Wisconsin guys need a little bit of a break here. Come on. Come on. So, wow. So. I can't believe we went there this early. It's only 11 minutes into this podcast, and this is what we're talking about already. <laughs> it's an easy path, Jeff. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember who, uh, who everybody likes to follow, Carrie. <laughs> oh, boy. That is not me. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure you heard it. Well, I heard it, but can we... Loud and clear. All right, so let's just stay on topic now. We talk about muskies on this podcast. Enough of this bluegill talk. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. I'll give in a little bit here. I think Billy, you know, he, he brought a lot to the table there. And I think we've tried to answer that question, you know, a time before, but you know, there's a bunch of listeners that have younger people in their lives, their kids or nephews, nieces, whatever it might be. And uh, it's really important to make it fun. I mean, if it's not fun, they're not going to want to do it in the future. So just keep things fun, basically, to the basics, if you will. 
Yeah, I mean, that's where, to me, you know, like, even trolling, you know, I mean, it's a great way. You can go out and cast for, you know, now that Wisconsin is even open more for trolling, you know, a lot of the northern Wisconsin lakes, yeah, it's one line, I believe, a person. But, you know, you can go out and cast for hour, two hours, kids get tired, throw out a couple rods, just go trolling. You know, I always said that you can't catch fish sitting on the couch. You know, that's the prime example. It's just getting out and doing it is, uh, you know, you never know when you're going to catch that fish that'll make that kid change his life forever. So, you know, just being on the water and that being a 36-inch or a 32-inch or a, you know, 45-inch or, you know, it's all relevant to that kid that, that catches that fish. If he's hooked, you know, and it, and it keeps going. I mean, that kid will be hooked for life, you know, and that's, that's what it's about. I mean, getting kids into fishing is what the future is all about. The bottom line is what he's saying is we're just ruining lives one at a time. I heard that too, between bluegills and ruining lives. He's ruined a lot of lives. It sounds like between fishing and selling off tackle companies, this isn't going well. That's valid. <laughs> I'm sure glad I can make your life happy. I mean, that that's what I'm there for, Jeff. I mean, specifically you, Jeff. I mean, I you know, I, I couldn't have been happier to help you out. Because, I mean, I, I knew you were just, you know, you were getting kind of bored there. You needed something else to keep you busy. Because I know you. I mean, we, we hung out. We spent a lot of time together. I mean, I, I know you live on a Snickers diet. You're pretty much your life. So, I mean, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just knew you, you weren't, you just needed a little extra push to really, eh, I don't know if I want to say set you straight or send you up over the edge, but I kind of like, was hoping it would just send you over the edge. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had 10 minutes of spare time in my life, and I was like, you know, what am I going to do with that? I might as well get a tackle company, too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, do it. Everybody's doing it. It's a cool thing to do. <laughs> wow <laughs> you know for the listeners that don't know billy owned Mon- monster lures that can maybe you can just tell everybody billy what that consisted of okay um that consisted of the rabbit squirrel uh the squircos and the jerkos one-eyed willies and the uh the creepensteins bride of creepenstein and the little creepers uh, which was originally that was monster lures I mean, it was a great tackle company. There's a lot of great stuff made. You know, the creepers aren't being currently made just because it's tough to find anybody to make wood bodies and and make stuff like that anymore. So I've just kind of let that one go. But, you know, three great people got to take over the other three companies and um, are doing well with them, So which is which actually makes me feel awesome that, that somebody else took a company that I kind of had let – slide a little bit and just couldn't couldn't keep up with anymore with my lifestyle and and family and kids and just couldn't couldn't handle it between my job which has gotten extremely busy um and i'm just i'm awesome to see that there's been a lot of great stuff done with those tackle companies so i got a question for you jeff okay so you ended up buying the squirt and the jerko how did you arrive with that as your logo fish? I mean, the fish is chasing a squirt I used to help Bill make, we used to go squirt tails and stuff um, at the Musk Innovation Shop. We'd go visit, we'd go over there like what, Bill, every December. Sometimes we'd have to go twice in the season, depending upon how show season was going. And 
So I went over there and was helping Bill with it. So that's kind of how I ended up with it, which I guess is kind of how I decided I wanted to buy it. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out how I decided that, but either way, it was a questionable decision at best. Well, you know, what I'm hearing now is maybe it was just stupidity and it really wasn't Bill's fault. I mean, it's true. No, I've never once claimed on this podcast to be brilliant. That, well, so. <laughs> that was a joke, yeah. <laughs> We're not laughing at all in the office here, I can tell you that. So. I am. Well, e- either, either way, I still never have claimed to be that smart, so. No, no, I will say that Jeff and I, in, back in, oh, I don't know, how long ago is that, Jeff? Eight to ten years ago, we talked almost daily. Yeah, I would say I mean, it was quite a bit. There was a realm of, I don't know, three to five years, maybe. Maybe I'm over over speaking, but uh, that we talked a lot. I mean, we ran a lot of baits past each other, ran a lot of colors past each other. I was there when you started. I wasn't part of it, but I was there when you started up your business, and you asked me a whole lot of questions, and I'm like, I always told him, I'm like, I'm not the person to ask. <laughs> Jeff kept coming to me and asking me about tackle businesses and stuff like that. I'm like, I am not the person to ask because I struggled from the time I bought the companies till the time I sold them to understand it and maybe make the best decisions, the right decisions. You know, I mean, you have to just go with what your gut tells you, but you still, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot better people. In fact, I'm sitting next to one right now and it's not Brad that has made some really good decisions. (laughs) I was, I was hoping you were going to clarify that, that it wasn't Brad. I was hoping you were going to go that way. I just fish for stupid fish. <laughs> well, speaking of stupid fish, one thing I haven't, I haven't really talked to you that much lately, Brad. I know the last time we did an intro on the part two of Dick's podcast, you were off fishing and doing whatever. So Carrie and I had to hold down the fort like we always do in the summertime. You know, you're always gone. Wait, that didn't sound, that didn't even sound right. But anyways, um. You mean like you're talking about me and Mel, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> she did have to do that last week. We were pretty busy, and I was gone on Thursday and Friday. So, fortunately, my kids are getting a little older, so I grew a little bit of help in the shop. So she's not completely solo like she used to be, but the workload's gotten a little bit bigger than it used to be, also. So I guess it kind of washes out. But um, I hope the kids are getting paid well. I mean, that's. That's a pretty important part of it. I mean, I hope that they're getting, you know, really good wages. I feed them, you know. I feed them. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Done. Actually, Put a over their head, on, feed the, them. on the pay scale of it, the other, the two girls were, they, they were requesting a raise the other day. And I'm like, you guys barely work as it is. Why am I giving you a raise? But... <laughs> Of course, you know, I had to negotiate with the help, so they they got raises. I said, well, I'll tell you what. My very first job was Burger King, and I think my very first raise was like a nickel. And I'm like, so I'll give you guys each a nickel an hour. So they got a raise. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, though. Just think about that. They're actually learning how to negotiate. They're learning how to work. There's nothing wrong with that, Jeff. Yeah, they're still a little bit of millennial workers, though. They like to bring their phones into the shop and watch YouTube when they're in the shop doing stuff. And I'm like, you guys can't go anywhere without watching Netflix and YouTube. What the heck's your problem? Uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> I can do a lot of things without either. And you choose not to. No, I don't watch Netflix and YouTube when I'm in the shop. 
You have the TV on in there all the time. No, I actually never turn it on. Mel turns it on all the time. Oh, okay. She likes the TV. I would much rather have the radio. <laughs> Me too. I like the radio. I don't like the TV on. Background noise is important when you're working. Although I will admit, though, like if we do podcasts on Sunday nights, typically if the football season was on, I would normally have the TV on with the football game on so I could at least see what was going on. Well, the crazy part is, is, you know, when I text you at two o'clock this morning, the reason I did that is because I figured we weren't going to get a full day in today. We have 25 to 30 mile an hour constant winds with 40 mile an hour gusts today. And I would say that that's been kind of the story of the season so far. I mean, we've had a couple nice days, but man, has it been windy. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Um, even in the Madison area where I'm from, um, you know, the, it's I can't, I don't think I've fished a calm day yet. We got a couple days this spring when we were up walleye fishing on Green Bay that were halfway decent. That was it. I mean, other than that, it's been blowing, blowing, and blowing, and it's, it's like, oh boy, is this the only benefit to this year? I would have to say is that it seems like we're a little bit ahead. I would definitely say we are ahead, um, water temp wise, at least up in Minnesota here. Um, now in Wisconsin, we were way behind. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, we were, I was still getting temps Memorial Day weekend. I had the day before Memorial Day weekend on Madison Lakes, I had 58 degrees water temps which I believe that's the coldest that I've ever seen in my lifetime that I can remember that late into May being that cold of water. So things were definitely, I don't know if I necessarily say fish were that far behind, but things weren't warming up, you know, and, and I mean, the few guys that I've been talking to fishing has been good down there. They're seeing some fish. I'm actually hearing about more big fish being seen than, um, than in years past. Been, it's been pretty good. Like I said, I've been out of the realm a little bit. I've talked to a few, just a few of the buddies that I stay in touch with. But uh, I don't know, Jeff, what do you have to answer for Wisconsin, for us Wisconsin guys? Anything talking about for fishing-wise? Uh, it's mostly, I mean, I've been hearing the same kind of deal from the guides that I know and based on what I've seen. I wouldn't say it's been like an amazing year on the water, but I know that there's definitely fish being caught. I know for a fact that with the weather we had last Thursday, Friday, we went out for two days. It was a bit of a struggle, but we saw a ton of fish. And quite honestly, we saw a bunch of big fish too. So that was good that they're finally showing up. We lost, I don't know, like four or five. But based on the way the, you know, the weather played out, I was happy that we, that we did that. So it was, um, it was, you know, like I said, it's been, it's been good, I guess, ish. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's been great. That's how I would lay it out for most of the guys that I talk to. I haven't heard any like giant inland muskies. Although I actually, I did hear of a fairly large one caught. I shouldn't say that. I was talking to Steve Jensen. He said there was a 52 caught up in Hayward recently. So that's, you know, those are good things to see. Like I said, I was, I was on the Northeast side of the state the other day and we saw one on a smaller lake that was probably 48 to 50. So it's good to see those things showing up. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, it's really crazy, Jeff. For us over here in Minnesota and some of the people that I'm talking to across the state, it's been consistent. Um, Myself, I've been averaging basically one fish a day. We've had some opportunities at some other ones and uh, didn't capitalize. But, you know, you can't complain. When it comes to muskie fishing, you get one bite a day. 
that's uh, pretty darn good. So consistency has been there. I would say that the warm-up this spring, it was consistent as well. We kind of had a little, I guess you'd call it a minor cold front on the opener this past weekend. But uh, I don't know. The weather is up and down, up and down, tons and tons of wind. It's making it challenging to for boat control and, and putting fish in the boat, that's for sure. But we're still squeaking one out a day. So, Brad, if you're willing to talk about it, what's been like? What's been the ticket? Are you still trying to do your open water deal? Is that mainly what you're up against? Yeah, the last three, four years, basically what I've done is uh, I've kind of tried to get my clientele that aren't maybe able to cast for a full, complete day, and I'm putting them in the month of June just for the trolling aspect, and, and most of that's in the open water. That's what, what I've done the whole, I guess it's one week now already, we skipped out today. I had to skip out one other day this past week with 40-mile-an-hour winds. Planning on being on the water with Billy and his family tomorrow and going after it again. It was cool yesterday. Jill um, caught her first fish. Jill is Billy's wife. I think she said 11 years. 11 years. Yeah, it's been 11 years. Caught a, a nice fish that was right at 45 inches and just a fatty. And one of the things I will say, the fish that we're catching, I think uh, opening day, we got one fish and we got stormed out. We, I think we only fished six hours that day, but we got it done. And that was a 39, and that thing was beat up like none other. The rest of the fish that we've caught have been all clean and, and pretty much healed up from the spawn. So this is that magic time for the open water, um, starting kind of on the 15th, which is tomorrow. And it just kind of gets really good and strong right around the 20th. And by the end of the month, I don't know, we might we might have uh, some warmer water where I'm going to shift to casting. Well, it looks like we're due for another warm-up here starting this week, which if for anybody that cares, we're recording this on Sunday night on the, what is today, 14th, I believe it is. So you'll listen to this in like three days. So I would, I would imagine I actually think on Wednesday when this comes out, it's supposed to be in the upper 80s to lower 80s, somewhere in there, I think is what I saw. Is that what you were looking at for temperatures over by you, Brad? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, tomorrow for us, we're probably about a day ahead of you usually, but upper 80s tomorrow for Monday. And Tuesday, I, you know, they even talked to 90s, but now I think they changed that to upper 80s. But the crazy part is, is 25-mile-an-hour winds all day tomorrow with 30 to 35 tomorrow evening. It's atypical in the sense that, you know, Minnesota used to blow during the day, and as the evening would creep in, it would lay down, and it's been kind of the opposite so far the first week of the season. So as it's gotten later, it's, it kind of dies down for maybe an hour, and then it just picks up and gets crazy overnight. You know, Brad, I would like to a little add a little comment to that, too, is, you know, in all the years that we fished together, which we've been fishing together about since 06, 07, somewhere in that realm, um, you know, we saw a lot of that back in our filming days, you know, it'd be beautiful in the evenings. And I would say in the last 10 years, you know, eight to 10 years, it seems like that weather pattern has changed a ton here where we get that blows all day or not even necessarily blows all day, but you'll get a good wind all day. And then we get a little calm down. And then that last hour of light all the way through midnight or whatever, it just starts cranking. And, um, you know, and it's been a very typical weather pattern that we've seen. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I came up here and fished with you that we actually had a calm day. I mean, maybe last August or September when I was up here with you, we might have had one decent 
decent day, I think. We might have had a couple, but I remember it was always blowing in the evenings. You know, we were always like, oh, yeah, stuff's going to lay down. We're going to beat up these fish that we had been seeing all day and get back on some fish. And, and you know, as anybody knows, if you're a muskie guy, you know, when it comes down to prime time and wind starts blowing, it makes it a little bit more miserable for boat control. Just it kind of takes the wind out of your sails, which, you know, if you're a muskie guy, it's a mental game. That's that's what it is. I think musky fishing is as mental of a sport as there is almost anything out there. If you're not into it, and it's your your chances of success go way down. You know, I mean, you just have to. Even though conditions are lousy and blowing, you know, Brad and I have stuck it out, and we grind. And you know, the the good old days of of you know four or five fish after dark and a night just just aren't there on a consistent basis like they used to be. But we know if we grind, we'll probably get that one shot, you know, so sticking with it. I mean, that's, that's, even though it's miserable conditions and I know a lot of guys are fed up with it and want to throw in the towel. If you can stick it out, even to that, that last half an hour of light and into that hour after dark, you know, that, that two hour window, I'll say in that vicinity, if you can stick it out, even though conditions aren't ideal, you know, I would say 50 to 70% of the time, maybe even better, you're going to come out on the winning end, especially after you had a tough day, you know, where you're ground all day, not seeing much, you know, you want to just throw in the towel. And then when Mother Nature kicks in wind too on top of it, 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 it almost takes you to your knees. But if you can just grind it out for that little bit, because still, no matter what the conditions are for wind, weather, any of that stuff, last light, is tea time. I mean, that, that is when the magic can happen. So if that's one thing I could say, you know, I've learned over 20, 25 years of doing this is, is if you can keep mentally into it, do what you got to do. If you have to take a break midday, even if you have to take a break, you know, just sit back down for 15, 20 minutes in your boat, two hours before dark, do it, do it. Because, you know, a lot of these fish, you can almost always get something to move or something to nip or grab in them, that two-hour window. This is coming from the guy who an hour before dark would slam a Mountain Dew and call it his glue so that he could re-energize himself. So he's right. You know, you don't catch him from the couch, as he said earlier. And on top of it, you know, the guy that works the hardest is probably going to be the most successful. Not always. But at the end of the year, you're going to see where an extra hour or two every day definitely changes the numbers of catch. I can't disagree with anything. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to, as I agree. Typically, the guy that grinds the hardest is the one that's going to win. That's just the, that's just the way it is. Yep. And, you know, that's also keeping mentally in the game, too. You know, I mean, even though you're beat down, tired, making right decisions, making every figure eight count, in them two hours of what I call prime time, you know, the magic hour there, um, you know, will it'll make you a much happier person because if you grind all day, don't see much, and then you have a great shot of a fish that you should catch and you blow it, <laughs> that'll beat you down even more. So, you know, I know it's tough. It's easy to sit here and say that, but, you know, we've been doing it for a lot, a lot of years, and I've learned the hard way. I've screwed more than my fair share of fish up because I was mentally not in the game. But now, uh, as you get older, I think this is uh, something for you young guys to maybe think about a little bit is, you know, take a, take a couple minutes, even if it's just a few minutes, 
and rest your shoulders, rest your body, you know, let just, just make sure you're ready when the opportunity arises. So I mean, that's, uh, that's one thing that I could say I've learned over the years. He says all this, Jeff, but one time Billy and I on Vermilion fished like 43 hours straight. So <laughs> I, I guess we had a break at 43 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are more dedicated than me. I won't do 43. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore either. I'm not really that mad at him anymore. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm I'm on the, uh, you know, good six, eight, ten hour days. That's about my extent of the madness at him anymore. I will grind. I will grind. But I don't know. The days of me grinding like I used to are are no longer. Now we're going to see how things are going to change here. As Brad calls him, Little Billy um, gets older and and keeps going forward like he has been we'll, we'll see if he tries to uh to put his old man <laughs> in the dirt here um uh, <laughs> you know by wanting to stay out and, and which he's been that way already at 10 years old he he is not a quitter at all um you know we have to like when we're up spring walleye fishing he uh we're on the boat for 14 15 hours and he's like oh we got to go in I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's, you know, we pull all nighters and, and they, you know, he, he's non-quitter. He loves running rods and getting involved with every part of it. I love it. Most times I just have to run the boat. He sets all the rods and takes care of it. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm kind of afraid <laughs> as to what the future might bring for me. It might be back to my 16, 18, 20 hour days of fishing here again. Well, once you teach him how to run the boat, you can just take a nap during the middle of, the, of it and say, "Here you go, kid. You handle it. I'll be up. And, I'll get back up again in an hour or so." Pretty soon, that's going to be the program. You were reading my mind. I just wanted to make it sound a little better. <laughs> <laughs> that passenger seat isn't a bad thing, you know. No, nope. you think about it. I, I, it's really crazy. It's a changing of the guard, if you will. <laughs> For a ten-year-old, he's a monster. He really is. So I, I love it. I think it's so cool. Yeah, and, and I will say that too. You know, a lot of times, if you are the passenger too, a lot of times it's your time to shine. You know, and that and I will say that that wholeheartedly because I come up here and fish with Brad, and I don't have to typically run the boat occasionally, but typically I don't have to run the boat. So when you have that opportunity to fish with somebody awesome that knows the water, puts you on fish, it's really your time to shine. Because you don't have to worry about, are you keeping us on the spot? Are you, you know, you just don't have to worry about fighting the wind all night. You know, that guy, that gets tiresome. If you're the guy running the boat, you know, you're mentally and physically drained because you're trying to fight waves. You're trying to keep that person on the spot. I mean, so it's, it's I got to say, it's a beautiful thing when I come up here and fish with Brad. And that's why we've, we've done really well because we all stay into the game well. You know, Brad keeps us on the spot keeps me on the fish i have to make my moves right to to make things happen and it's and it's worked out well you know so always keep that into mind your your stress levels can go way down when you don't have to worry about and take care of all the other stuff that's going on in the in the boat at that for say that time just completing strong figure eights you know doing what you're supposed to do you know not being lazy because as we all know as musky fishermen, the minute that you slack or get lazy is going to be your opportunity. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's almost like they know. 
It, it really is, Jeff. It, it, it's pretty bizarre. Um, you know, having a good boat partner, Billy hit it on there. I mean, it's true. If I let Bill run the boat or if I run the boat, we fish a lot alike and we do a lot of the same stuff. Having that partner that you really click with, it can make all the difference in the world. I mean, think about it. You're down, that other, your partner is going to push you and vice versa. So it, it's huge. It really is. So, I mean, my advice to any angler out there, make sure you're with the right guys and um, definitely going to improve your game. Well, speaking of improving your game, that's kind of what we do this podcast for. So in listening to Bill talk in the beginning, he talked about like kind of like doing your homework or whatever, you know, being prepared. So Bill, can you talk a little bit about, you know, like, let's just say if you're going to a new lake, we've talked about this with multiple guests and everybody's got a little bit different preparation. You want to talk a little bit about like what you do if you're going to a new lake for, you know, guys that are, I mean, they're going to be doing some exploring this year. Maybe your favorite lake has got too many boats on it because you've, you know, that just seems to be the trend this year. I know we've talked about it before, and I'm sure we'll touch a little bit of light on it yet. But pressure is definitely a concern this year, so it's possible that some guys might be looking to expand their horizons a little bit. You want to talk a little bit about your process that you go through? Yeah, I would love to, actually. This is probably one of my strongest points. Um, um, I really feel, um, and I'm going to reply this too, the same as out west hunting. I'm a you know huge out west hunter, and, and what I love to do with my actually probably my, even better than going on the hunts that I love is researching them, looking at maps, piling over stuff. Cause there's nothing more rewarding than when you're 20 to 30 hours away from a chunk of property and you go to it and the elk or the deer are there, you know, the, all the hard work and the stuff you've done ahead of time. It's awesome when you get rewarded that, Hey, you know what? I made this call, you know, you may not get one, but that's just, I mean, that's just, that's just like musky fishing, you know, but, um, so doing your research on maps, you know, there's a ton of great paper maps out there. You know, most of us now have chips in our boats. So just sit in your boat. Even if you're look at your locator, um, go through maps, go through, look at the lake. Don't show up at a lake, like just pick a lake out of the blue and show up at it. I would highly recommend at least go through for the time of the year that you're fishing it. You know, if you're fishing it early, Look at the north ends, the warmer water, the muddier bottoms, you know, where might the fish be spawning, you know, just, you don't necessarily have to fish right up in the shallows, but, you know, you have to think about fish movements pretty simple early in the year, you know, they spawn and just find stuff adjacent to it, you know, just like in Wisconsin, you know, fish spawn and then typically muskies move out to open water for anywhere from, you know, could be a small amount of time to a large amount of time. You know, just pay attention to the first big open water areas, you know, basins. Now, if you're fishing a 300-acre lake, you know, that's just a small basin just outside of a weed line or a creek mouth where they spawn. So one thing, I mean, that's, that's kind of a big part of where I start is I like to look over stuff before I show up at the lake. Um, you know, there's so much information out there right now on the internet. You know, you can learn a ton about muskies, what's going on, what's being caught, everything, but, you know, actually sitting down and, and following a map, following, I don't know, just, I, I keep going back to this, but keep researching, researching before you show up at a lake, you know, seriously, seriously take, and I'm not talking, this doesn't take, you know, much more. And really, if you sit down for a half an hour, 
you can you can you can figure out a lot of stuff in a short amount of time or call in friends call in favors uh, you know one thing that i really like to do when i first get to a body of water that i've never fished before which i did i learned a ton of ton of waters back in my day canadian waters minnesota waters is use your electronics i was jumped on you know right away when hummingbird came out with side imaging back well, i don't know exactly when they came out with it but i got it in like 2008 2009 um, I jumped on that program right away because just what you can learn and see that you never knew, you know, points coming out, weed lines, you can, you know, just take a drive around the lake a little bit, uh, um, you know, and, and learn the lake a little bit. We did this a ton. I know I'm bouncing around a little bit here, um, but when I was tournament fishing back in the, in, I don't remember when that was, 2000, 2000 to 2003, when I was in the PMTT stuff, we spent more time just driving around, looking at electronics, looking at locators. That was pre-side imaging. But we just spent a ton of time just learning. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing more that I, that I, and I've learned this over the years that I hate to do, is all of a sudden fish a stretch of water, and you're like, boy, why did I waste my time to do that? I just waste two hours of my day on a spot that didn't even look that good. But... Now all of a sudden we're coming into an area that looks good. Well, you know, the, the day's over. Time's up. You know, it's, it's, I, I really think that taking time, and now today with the side imaging, you know, most, most I'm not going to say all guys, but a lot of guys are invested in the side imaging. The Hummingbird, you know, mega stuff is truly amazing. And what you can see and learn, drive around, mark some stuff, mark points, mark inside turns. It's all very noticeable, very easily seeable on today's electronics. I mean, it's, it's, if you're seriously into the musky fishing, like I'm guessing most people are that listening to this podcast, um, you know, it's a wise investment and you don't have to go to the giant units, you know, just, just, just spend some money and get into some side imaging units and really learn a ton of the water before you actually start casting. And it doesn't take long. Most bodies of water that we fish, you know, barring any of the huge Minnesota bodies of water, you can take a half an hour, 40 minutes, and learn, you know, a lot about what's what's there in a short amount of time. So I know I might have got a little long-winded there on that that part, but, um, you know, that I guess would be to me. And then, you know, also start your start your tactics out with, you know, general stuff, throwing smaller bucktails, you know, covering water fairly quick to learn the water. You know, it's not worth, I don't feel, picking apart something if you don't know it yet. You know, you don't know that there's fish there. So turn and burn, you know, especially you got a couple guys in the boat, you know, cocktails, top waters, you know, working rubber, just, just cover some water fairly quick. Well, so Bill, if we can dive into it a little bit, I don't want you to give away secrets and locations, but I know one thing you've done a great job of is locating fish on green Bay where there's no pressure. How did you go about finding those spots? Was it, did you, did you spend a ton of time driving around? Was it spending a time, you know, was it kind of the same deal that you talked about there? Like what, what led you on, what got you on those patterns that you have? And like I said, I don't want to give away spots because I know, I know how you are and how secretive you are about what, what you have going on, but you know, you've put some incredible fish in the boat in uh, in areas where there's not a lot of people thank you appreciate that but um a lot of it is time 
I will tell you that a lot of the Green Bay stuff is just pure, plain, and simple time. Um, I've gone through the tough times, trial and error, you know, having conversations with some people too. Um, you know, I've had a, I've had so I've met some really great people that were also in the early days grinding just like I was. And, you know, we, we shared some information to help everybody else out. But, um, I would say, you know, the general purpose of it was grinding was hours, hours and hours. I mean, that, that is how, how I came across a lot of the awesome bites that we got onto at Green Bay over the years. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I've, I've missed those. I'm not, not getting up there nearly as much, virtually not much at all right now. Um, that is on my future list. There's a lot of awesome bites out there. You know, there's a ton of information out there right now, you know, for Green Bay. Um, but I will say this, that there's still a fair amount of, of unexplored stuff um, out there left. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a great amount of fish left out there yet. Um, you know, the new, I've talked to a lot of friends in the last couple of years, and it sounds like there's a really nice group of fish coming back uh, again. You know, and that's another one of them systems where persistence and grinding will pay off in the long run. You know, I, I can't say as I have any super amount of secrets, you know, on baits or anything like that. I, it's just, you know, a lot of a lot of the basic bucktails, rubber. I don't typically do anything crazy, you know, smaller crankbaits. I, I will say this, that a lot of the crankbaits that I run up on Green Bay, I'm not a small crankbait guy. I am mostly into that 8 to 10 inch stuff. Um, I've never been one to run the small crankbaits. Um, I, I have, and we, and we've caught a lot of fish doing it, but for my liking, I tend to run bigger crankbaits. So, you know, it's been, and just doing different stuff, you know, don't, don't get stuck in the norm. That, that's what I would have to say as just because everybody else is doing something, don't follow the crowd, you know, do your own thing. I mean, if you want to follow the crowd, that's great. But even if it's two, three hours throughout the day, try something different. You know, just because everybody's catching them on a certain bait on Green Bay doesn't mean that they won't eat anything else. You know, I know there's a lot of phenomenal fishermen up there um, that are doing different things. Every year, There's I, I've talked to a group of guys that are doing a bunch of different stuff that, that the norm isn't doing and doing well doing it. So, you know, whether it's being changing your speed, going a little faster than the next guy, maybe you're going a little slower than the next guy. You know, if everybody's out in the same, same basin, same area, not catching fish, well, then it's time to change. You know, you have to, you have to think outside the box. And that's, that's always been um, something that I've always loved to do. And I still like to do it is doing something different and seeing the benefit of it by, you know, catching that fish, having one or two bites in a day, which, you know, that's still musky fishing. I mean, I will have to say that the days of, you know, going out on Green Bay and catching eight to 10 fish, I, we're not seeing a lot of those days nowadays. I mean, that was awesome when it was going, but those days just aren't, aren't as much of a reality anymore as they used to be. So, and, and, you know, coming with that too, you have to set yourself up for that too. You have to realize that, that you're going to grind now. I mean, we have, I've been on Green Bay for seven days and not had a bite. So I will be the first one to admit that seven days straight, we never had a bite, but we also are looking for giant fish. And I know that that pattern, you know, will come true. You just have to put your time in 
for the pattern that I look for, because I'm out there, I'm out in Green Bay looking for one fish. I want the biggest fish in the system. Um, I, I will spend all my time looking for those jumbo bumbles. That is why I go to Green Bay. I still think that some of the biggest fish in the world live in Green Bay. Truly do believe that. We've had some opportunities. We've caught some huge fish. Um, I've lost two fish that, that I would give up most of my other big fish to have actually uh, put in the net. Both were lost at a net length from the boat. Um, you know, those are, those are very special fish that I, I don't know if we'll ever see again. I mean, I'm assuming we will, but uh, I, I don't know what the future has to bring. I don't know genetically what, what the fish that are being put in Green Bay right now are, are going to do. You know, we, we had, there was a, there was a, a while there where there was a lot of very special giant fish there. Um, do I think Green Bay is going to be an unbelievable fishery in the future again? Yes. I've talked to a lot of friends. They said there's a lot of really nice mid mid 45 or mid 40 inch fish, um, you know. So so that's getting me a bit excited again to to get back in a time wise. You know, I, I knew in the future here I'll be back up there um, going at a full bore again like what we used to do. I may have got you sidetracked. Did you have any other questions there, Jeff, on what you want to know about Green Bay? Any specific stuff no i was more or less just looking because i know green bay is one of them that you like i said i've i've seen some pictures and heard some stories from you and i so i knew you had a lot of success there outside the box so i was more or less just trying to get it for guys to you know i guess that's kind of what we try to do on this podcast a little bit is to get guys to think outside the box outside what they normally do outside their normal spots get outside their comfort zone and i guess i've tried to do some of that myself this season and you know, we, we talk to guests all the time that talk and I, and I write notes down and I think about ways it can help me, you know, catch more fish. So I guess that's where I was trying to go with that one. You brought up speed, changing speed though. And Kevin Goldberg had told a story about how, you know, he came over here, fished with you. You guys trolled at, you know, typical Wisconsin speed. He, he didn't do, you didn't have a lot of success. He dialed up the speed and then you banged out a fish or two or whatever do is speed is is trolling fast you know is that something that you've put into your regular rotation so to speak nowadays yes it is you know uh, that's funny how you bring up kevin um kevin has taught me a ton about not being afraid to to turn up the speed um i will be admitted back to our i'll just talk our green bay success has not been based off of speed i have tried i have tried a ton um, of Green Bay, you know, and we just, I, I just, it just hasn't, I haven't been able to put it together with high speed. Um, Kevin, Kevin was on Green Bay with me also, oh God, eight to 10 years ago. And we had a phenomenal trip and, you know, he kept bugging me. He's like, we should go faster. We should do this. And I, I'm like, no, I said, we're just going to grind it out at this. And, you know, some of that stubborn headedness, but some of that is also the fact that we, I knew the success. I knew what needed to be done. And, you know, the, the, the fishery that I do on green Bay is not a numbers fishery. I mean, if you get a bite a day, that's success. I mean, we're not, I mean, I've had many big fish in one day, but those days come few and far between and years apart. So, and we just, we ground it out and we ground it out for three days and we did, we put some, you know, just absolutely giant fish. We caught, two really big fish in the boat, you know, one that was, you know, was 55, probably a 45 pound fish. 
you know, and I think we had, I think we had four or five fifties in three days. So, I mean, we had, or over 50, I mean, we had a phenomenal trip, but, you know, and after a while, Kevin, Kevin also understood that, you know, you just have to do with it. And, and Kevin tried it. When Kevin would drive the boat, he sped it up. And, you know, we, we spent six, seven, eight hours trying to do the faster stuff like they do in Ohio with no success at all. And, you know, in a fishery like that, it's just, sometimes you just have to stick with what you know. Sometimes that's, that means the not changing, being stubborn. But once you put a pattern together, you know, especially, I always say that them bigger fish are of a different, a different animal. You know, you're not necessarily always going to trick those big fish with something new. You just have to feed them the bait, feed them to them what they've always ate, you know, and that might sound pretty generic, but that's, that's just what we've done on the Green Bay fish is, is I haven't noticed a lot of change to catch them. Now, back to what you're telling me about is, yes, I've had Kevin come down to the Madison area and we were struggling, um, you know, picking up a fish here or there. And then Kevin told me, we're going to put the berries to it and uh, turn up the speed. And we cranked it um, full bore. Um, I have a 15 horse kicker on my boat. We pinned it. We were doing five and a half miles an hour. And I'm like, there's no way in this dirty water that we're going to catch fish. I think we went a half an hour, um, started catching fish. And I believe in two days, we ended up with like 11 fish doing that at five and a half miles an hour. Um, and I still do that to this day. You know, I start, I have two very specific patterns that I use, actually three specific patterns that I use on in the Madison area, stuff that I fish. And that that one is one that almost gets used daily. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was awesome to have Kevin open up my eyes to something that it would have taken me and pushed me a long, long time to have made that decision. I'm not even sure if I'd ever gotten there. So, so, but, uh, we're still catching fish, you know, fish will swim. You know, Brad and I were just having a conversation the last two days about musky swimming and how fast they move around. You know, like we'll see them on side imaging on one pass and we make a turn we come back around and they're gone. And you're like, well, where'd they go? They couldn't have gone far. You try to re- relocate that fish on site imaging, and they're gone. It's like, how did they move that fast out of that way? Well, you know, for them to catch a bait going five and a half miles an hour really isn't that difficult. Even in dirty water where, I mean, some of the water we're fishing, you can't see a foot. So, you know, and that's where I think, you know, and, and a lot of times I think that's where bait choice comes into play too, because you can't, there's not a lot of baits that you can run five, five and a half miles an hour. And, you know, that have loud rattles and big profile that, that you can pull at that speed. You know, I'll, I'll throw out one 10 inch jakes are phenomenal. You know, I, I do, I catch a ton of my fish on 10 inch jakes at, at those speeds. You know, that, that to me is just a great big profile bait that will take that speed. So, but yet I also love to slow roll them too, trolling. Um, you know, so it, it's a great multiversal bait. Two things become apparent to me, Jeff. Basically what I heard is probably in the, in the segment before what he just said, but take an hour a day and go experiment. You know, check things out, do something different than the norm that you normally would do on the water. You might be surprised. The next one that I guess, I heard him say this, but not really truly say it. I, I put my own twist on it, but 
one of the things that we as anglers need to do is fish the fish, not the fishermen. And what I mean by that is chasing boats or watching other boats. You know, here's the deal. We make our own decisions in that boat. Trying to follow is not always the answer. And, and usually when you're following, you're a day late, unfortunately. So something to think about, you know, just be aware of your surroundings, put things back into your perspectives. Um, take what you learned today, use it tomorrow. If it's not working, go check something else out. You know, don't uh, fish memories, but yet check those memories. You know what I mean? Boy, what Brad just said there is um, what I would call the epitome of Green Bay. That uh, he put it in way better words than I would have ever put it. I mean, that was that was truly the epitome of Green Bay. I mean, that there's Green Bay is a huge body of water, and yes, a lot of it's been explored, but there's still a lot of stuff that has not been explored. Um, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of different things, but have I spent? You know, there's there's probably ten different things that I would love to spend a week trying because I'm pretty sure that they're going to work. I'm pretty sure we're going to probably catch some big, big fish doing it. But it's also one of them things that eh, it's really tough to just spend a half a day, a day doing it and and expecting results because I know that that it that results don't come come every day on Green Bay. I mean, like I was saying earlier, you know, we spent seven days on Green Bay and never had a bite. But yet a week later, I went up to that same area and we absolutely put a beat down on the fish. I mean, we, we just caught an insane amount of giant fish. Um, so it's, it's timing, you know, and, and I don't feel that the fish were there when we were there. You know, if the fish are there, I think you can catch them. And that's the best part about it is side imaging nowadays and, and using that is you will typically know if the fish are there. You know, it, it makes, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Whereas back in the, those days, we didn't have all that stuff. Like I said, if, if you can do it, use your electronics and use some of the new product that's out there to help you shorten your learning curve. I mean, you still have to go out and fish them. You still have to go out and catch them. You know, there's way more to just running a lure over a fish's head. You have to understand that sometimes you have to change leader length. You have to change weight. You have to change, you know, snaps, swivels, um, leaders. Uh, one big thing I'll, I'll note on um, quickly here, one of the things I noticed on Green Bay specifically is one day I can catch fish. They all want to eat mono lines. Next day, they don't want to touch mono, but they'll eat my super line rods. You know, being trolled, same baits being trolled on different lines has made a huge difference for me. So when I'm running trolling spreads, I've got some of both out. Um, I will give that up. There's, that's one of, one of the big things. So I'm running the same lead lengths. You know, let's say I'm running 15 feet of line out. One day they won't touch if it's mono in the next, and, but yet they'll pound it if it's super line. So just something as simple as, simple as that can make the, make the day go, go different. And, you know, and that's muskies, man. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, yesterday we were, we were frustrated as all heck and we ended up having a, an awesome one shot day, but we were also marking some fish and seeing some fish and we were just like, what are we doing to get them to eat? And, uh, you know, we were racking our brains and trying different things and trying different speeds. We even had scales. <laughs> we hooked some scales yesterday, Jeff. So 
So definitely a fish swiped at the bait. Nice. So, yeah. Bill, you were talking about using different, you know, electronics that are available to you. Are you running panoptics on, on your rig? I do run some panoptics. I use the mega side imaging stuff the most. Um, I run mostly, I do have panoptics and I run that for um, mostly ice fishing and some pan fishing stuff off the boat. I have not truthfully taken the time to use it for musky fishing yet. So I have zero knowledge in that, that yet. I was hoping you were going to shed some light on whether or not I need a unit or not. <laughs> no, I wish I could. I wish I could, but I, I have not. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not that person on if it's, if it's there yet or not. So, and or no experience, no experience with it yet. I guess use whatever you can. Um, I wish I could, I'm guessing in the future, I might give you some input on it, but not yet. So, so Brad, you didn't put one on your boat yet. His wife won't buy him one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we have it. Just no, no answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool stuff. That technology is really interesting. Um, the funny part is the people that I know that are using it still say that they go back to their hummingbird with SI. It's interesting, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't gotten the time behind it. I've seen it a little bit. It's very intriguing to me, but at the end of the day, they still rely on their SI. So I'm still using that as a tool and we're going to go forward and see where this ends up. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Brad on that. It's, it's going to be pretty tough for me to, to replace my SI. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, you can cover a lot of ground, a lot of water. You know, you can see a lot of stuff with the side imaging that's out there in today's world. I mean, it, it's truly amazing. It's it's made our lives as fishermen way, way easier. If nothing else, it mentally keeps you in the game. We're going back to the mental thing again. I mean, it definitely mentally keeps you into the game, especially if you're a troller, that what you can see off to the side of the boat. I mean, if, if you can know that there's fish there, you know you can change up baits, change up lead lengths. I use it a ton, I mean, an absolute ton on a lot of the stuff that I do around the Madison area. I mean, I can count, I can count how many times a year that I can say, oh, there's a fish about middle rod, um, especially when we're trolling board, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's eight to ten fish a year that I'm actually paying attention to it and see it. And I'm like, oh, middle board, there's one right there. And all of a sudden it just fires off. I mean, that's pretty awesome when you get an opportunity to do something like that. You know, and, and you get to tell with the mega, you know, exactly a lot of times you can tell how big them fish are. You know, I'm a firm believer that you can tell if they're big fish. And, and you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll spend more time or I'll put a little bit more effort into a bigger fish like that, just trying to, to make that happen. And, and last year it accounted for the biggest Wisconsin fish in my boat last year was because of the mega. And it took us four passes over that fish for it to eat. I mean, it was in three feet of water. So it was in shallow water. I mean, I knew it knew the bait, the baits went across its head four different times. And it finally, it took a bait change and a speed change. Um, we just fed it to them. That was that was one tactic that we did. We went over them and went over them and went over them. And finally, I said, uh, "I'm done with this." We put on a uh, uh, a balsa um, big game 
with a lot of flash on it, slowed down the speed to two and a half miles an hour. So, you know, and you're going to hear me talk a bit about that. I, I mentioned the balsa for that reason because they have awesome action, awesome roll at slow speed. And I just wobbled it right across his head, and he just came unglued, you know, after he had seen three other baits go above his head. And um, that tactic has worked for me a lot <laughs> in the past. Yeah, it's it was uh, it was a very cool, very cool thing, and and there's nothing better than when you're slow rolling that bait back there, and it just gets drilled. It it, uh, it it's pretty awesome strike because they're almost always really fierce, so because they just want to crush it. You know, the crazy thing is that I've always thought is I cannot believe there's not more boat accidents because we're all glued to SI. You know, especially in the trolling atmosphere, but uh, I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> this, will, this, will, this year will be the true test of that. There's some truth to that. You know, I, when you're sitting there staring at a screen and you don't look up, because you can be mesmerized by it, that's for sure. So something to think about while you're out there driving anyway. You know, don't be afraid this year specifically to change up because there's going to be a lot more pressure. There's a ton more boating pressure. You, you, know, um, you know, everybody's going to have to deal with the fact that you know guys be patient you know there's a lot of you know there's going to be a lot of recreational pressure there's going to be a ton of everything this year so guys are just going to have to deal with it and change up possibly to consistently catch fish you know you might have to bury your your bait farther in the weeds if you're casting you might have to i call it bail a lot of hay a lot more i mean you know you, there's a lot of different things that are probably going to happen this year with the extreme amount of boaters and recreational traffickers and more fishermen that are going to be on the water because people guys aren't traveling people aren't traveling families aren't traveling i mean it's it, it, it's going to be a good year for those that are willing to do it to change up. And I'm a firm believer that if you're willing to change up, you will get rewarded. It might not be instant, but you will get rewarded. I mean, I, I've seen it my whole life. I've always been one to go against the grain and it's always paid off in some way, somehow. Um, not everything that I did, you know, has, has worked, but by changing, keep changing, it's always paid off in the long run. So, Bill, typically we finish off a podcast asking the guest for a tip that guys can use to help put more fish in the boat this season. You got something you can offer everybody? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, in the last, oh, I would say five to seven years, I've had a pattern that's been really good for me trolling. You know, and this is something that uh, that I do a lot of. And I will say that this is a lot of times condition dependent. You heard me talk a little bit about it just uh, a few minutes ago on the biggest, our biggest fish last year out of Wisconsin is that um, trolling. We, when conditions are right, which is typically when you get them just dog days of summer where it's hot, it's miserable, it's 80, 90 degrees and dead flat calm. I, I like to pull a tactic where I use uh, my main go-to bait on these days is either the 10 inch jake or um, my number one bait is that balsa big game nine inch um, with flash um, i like the holoform flash on the sides of it and just slow roll them at about two five to two six two point six miles an hour and i put them out on boards you know in wisconsin we're allowed to run three lines of guys so it's awesome and just slow roll them over areas that i know hold fish and, um, you know, you don't have to run long leads. To be honest with you, I'm running anywhere from 
15 foot to 20 foot leads on those baits and just slow rolling them. The balsa baits just have that awesome action at, at a crazy slow speed, just like the 10 inch jakes, that big rattle. You know, I usually like to run a jake on one side and a jake on the other side and then run the balsa two in the mix. So you're definitely, you're calling, I always feel like you call fish into the spread by using them rattle baits. Most times they eat the balsa, just that, that slow roll flash at that slower speed, I think just drives them nuts. And them are some of the most awesome, fierce strikes you'll ever see in a year. I mean, even at that slow speed, very, very seldom do we ever lose fish, you know, at that slow of a speed either because they just throttle it. So if I were to end it on that, that's an awesome technique that I've been using for a lot, a lot of years. Not to extend things out too long, but do you find that, do you find that rattle, rattle, baits with rattles are better in dark, dirty water or you do well with them in clear water as well? Um, I do well with them in, in clear water as well. Um, I don't, we don't get the chance to fish a lot of the gin, gin clear stuff, you know, but, um, I'm very, oh, how I want to call this very picky about how my baits sound. Um, I like deep, loud thumping rattles. I don't like the tinny rattles. I like, so when I grab a bait, a lot of times, especially at the store, I'll shake it, listen to it. If it doesn't have the right sound that I want. I put it right back. You'd be amazed at the difference of bait sound when you when you actually grab them out of your tackle box and shake them. Um, you know, I like a deep thumping, like a real hard deep thump. I don't like the real tinny stuff for for the waters that I fish. You know, one of the things with that, Jeff, too, is you know, and Billy taught me this a long time ago. You know, you have baits that catch fish, and when you add some of those rattle baits into your mix the baits that you're using that catch fish catch more fish. It's really intriguing. So, and this isn't always, I mean, it's not a hundred percent, but there are times when you run one of those rattle baits, the other baits are the ones that are really getting hit and it's, it's an attractant. So what I'm hearing out of that is if you're out trolling, you should probably have at least something rattling. Yeah. You know, every given day is a little different, but definitely something to consider. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. At least a lot of times, truthfully, in my spreads, I'll run a a heavy rattle bait right off the boat and then have non-rattle baits out off the boards. And that, that slow trolling thing that I do is I run a ton of the big rattle baits off the boat, and I, I'm pretty sure it makes a difference. You know, I'm pretty solid. I've tried. I've played the games back and forth, you know, it definitely, I would say 90% of the time, having a rattle bait in the water is, is good. Like a big, deep rattle bait, like a Believer or the Jakes or something that, that at slow speed. So the key is, for me, with that pattern is at slow speed, it's got to have action and it's got to have a good roll to it that makes, makes things go tink. So here's one, you know, that kind of capitalizes, I guess, what Bill just said. I don't remember what year it was, probably 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. But Keys Outdoors, Mike Keys came over to Mille Lacs. He was fishing with Greg Thomas. This is pretty wild. But uh, anyway, Billy was on a bite, and he was catching all these muskies after dark trolling slammers. And the bizarre part of this whole deal was I went out there and tried to duplicate it. But Billy, Billy didn't tell us the whole story. Now, he did tell Greg Thomas. 
So if you can remember, I think that episode's actually on YouTube, but if you go look through Keys Outdoors and you see Trolling on Mille Lacs After Dark with Greg Thomas, you're probably going to see it. They slammed them with the slammer baits, okay? But the one key ingredient to that whole deal was a 13-inch, um, excuse me, a 13-inch believer. Billy didn't, uh, he kind of neglected to tell me that. <laughs> so my bite wasn't so hot, but Mike and uh, Greg and Stevie basically cleaned house for a couple nights there on some real true giants that Mille Lacs had to provide at the time. If you didn't have that believer in the mix, you were like me, you went home empty-handed. That's a good story. And also, nothing about that surprises me. I know how Bill is. He's always that way. He's always got a little something different going on. Well, basically, it was probably a year or two before Billy and I started fishing together. So I guess, you know, he was feeling things out with me. But uh, since then, probably 2004, 2005, somewhere in there, Billy and I have fished a ton together. And, you know, it, it's amazing. I mean, we've had some tough days and struggled here and there. But ultimately... The two of us, when we're in the boat together, usually get it done, and we've had some really special moments in the boat. Yeah, I'd like to add to that too. It's been a, it's been an awesome, I'll say, almost 15 years here, spending up here with the Hoppy family. Um, you know, they've they've treated me like family. It's been an awesome, awesome thing to experience, and an awesome place to come hang out with my family. They they saved my butt this past fall in a in an unbelievable way that I'll never ever forget, which I don't forget much about in my, in my life, but that was a, a very special experience in my life that I will never ever uh never never ever will forget in my life and never be and never be thankful enough. Philly's cousin that was driving thought he was evil can evil Jeff. I think I heard this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they had a little bit of a rough experience. <laughs> Billy was on his way to South Dakota hunting, but he was trying to outrun a storm. And so he went north to North Dakota and was going to swing back down on the backside of the storm. It didn't work out so hot and uh, decided to jump uh, off an embankment, if you will, a bridge by Valley City and land in the trees. Fortunately, the trees were there where they might not be here today. Unreal. So I got the, I got the, the pleasure of going and picking them up, which I... For sure, Billy would have did the same thing for me. I uh, I went up there, picked him up, drove him to the cities. His wife came and picked him up from the Twin Cities, and it worked out pretty good. But yeah, that one's too close to call, man. I'll tell you what, that would have uh, it could have ended way way worse than it did. So I don't know. I do that for anybody, but uh, Billy's a special guy to us. So it's all good. Yeah, but I have the same to theme. Same thing to say about the Hoppy family. Brad kind of broke me up there a little bit, but uh, I do appreciate it, and, and I'm very fortunate and lucky to be here at this point. And uh, um, it's been nothing but an awesome weekend again up here and look forward to lots more of them in the future, man. I, I do appreciate the Hoppy family hospitality once again, and it's always good to talk to you, Jeff. I mean, I don't get to talk to you that much anymore, so... So I, I miss the old, oh, what you up to now, Bill? What aren't you going <laughs> to tell me now? <laughs> what you holding back from me now? <laughs> what you doing on Green Bay? Let me guess, you weren't on Green Bay. Nope. <laughs> that, that sounds like almost exactly the same. I mean, it's, that's like identical how it used to go. You know, some things just don't change over time. But eventually here, I would assume in the next couple of years, we should try and get in the boat together again. So, yeah, that would make sense. We should do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm maybe not as secretive as I used to be, but we'll, we'll see. Carter might be, though. Well, I mean, hopefully. Is, is Billy even giving his secrets to his own kid? I don't know if he would. <laughs> Good point. I don't think, I think Carter's probably going to be the one with the secrets, the way he's going. That's awesome to hear that, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. We, you know, Big Dave's plane uh, is a good friend of ours from, he lives in Florida, but he kind of uses our, our place as a uh, home and ground, if you will, during the summer. He uh, he was just saying the other day, I, I don't remember what day it was here, but basically saying, you know, between Mika and Carter, we're going to see which one uh, turns out to be a guide first. <laughs> and there's some similarities there, but I think Carter's got the true fuel and fire. Um, Mika can ride it out, and it's pretty neat watching her. Now, this year, she's kind of accelerated as we've been trolling here. She's working on the side imaging. She's zooming in, and what's that? What's this? What's that? And she's checking things. So, I don't know. In another year, I'm hoping she kind of goes that same route that Carter has. Pretty wild to think about. You know, I guess it's uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as we said earlier. But uh, we're throwing fuel on the fire. Put it that way. My my poor daughter's got to learn from me, so she's screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, Jeff. Oh, no. A lot of fish in the boat a year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Anyways. Well, Bill, we want to thank you again for taking some time out of your schedule and taking some time out of hanging with the Hoppies to talk to us on this podcast. I know you don't have anything you need to promote, so I guess we'll just talk a little bit about TRO and Muskie Mayhem, and then we'll we'll call it a night, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody again next week on the Backlash podcast. For anybody that cares, you can check out Team Rhino Outdoors at teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at TRO Fishing, and I don't know if I said Instagram or not. Backlash Podcast, you found us once, you should be able to find us again, but we're available almost everywhere you'd find a podcast. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podbean, whatever. I think those are all of them. If you did us, you know, if you could do us a favor and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, that would be awesome. It always helps get more people to our podcast, allegedly. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've I've heard it is. If you want, you can find Backlash Podcast on Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook. You can also email us, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. And then before we head out of here, Brad and Carrie, or Brad or Carrie, why don't you guys talk about Muskie Mayhem Tackle for a second? That's Muskie Mayhem Tackle. We're the uh, proud manufacturers of the original big-bladed non-bucktail, if you will, with being Flashaboo. From there, you can check us out on the internet as far as the, our website muskymayhemtackle.com you can check us out on Facebook Instagram as well as a YouTube channel and that's pretty much it I guess I guess the last part that I would say is I want to thank Billy for coming out as you did just briefly there a minute ago Jeff and you know <laughs> we're both fortunate enough to know Bill and a lot of times I think some of the best fishermen that are out there the guys that maybe don't get the glam that whole glamour light on them and uh, they have a huge amount to offer. And I just want to thank Billy for being a friend as well as a great fisherman. I certainly agree. That's one thing we've talked about before is a lot of the people I know that catch the most fish are not often heard from in the musky world. So I would put Bill amongst them. 
So once again, Bill, thanks for coming out. We appreciate all of our listeners of Backlash Podcast, and we'll see you all next week.